you can turn over in your Bibles. We're going to be over in John chapter 15 to start. I ran into this, 10 things that a mom does not want to hear. You can tell me if this is true, but here's, a, here's the first one. I swallowed a goldfish. Your lipstick works better than crayons. Does grape juice leave a stain? The, the principle called. But dad says that word all the time. <laughs> What's it cost to fix a window? Ha- has anyone seen my earthworms? I painted your shoes real pretty, huh, mom? The dog doesn't like dressing up in your clothes. And uh, number 10, I'm moving out. Well, maybe some days. <laughs> yes, we know that those things tell us that something has gone wrong. Something is not the way it should be, and something's not right. Last week we were talking about abiding. And we were looking at what abiding was, and we started off by talking about how how most of us uh, know the phrase abiding, know the principle of abiding. But if someone were to, we were to meet somebody on the street and they were to say, what is abiding? That probably most of us couldn't really tell them real simply what it was, especially if we were to find somebody who was unborn. But if abiding is so important in the Word of God that Jesus teaches that we cannot bear fruit unless we abide in Him. If we don't know what abiding is, how can we do it? And so we set out last week to look at that word abiding. And to find out what does it mean. If you missed it, it's up on the internet. You can uh, download it, podcast it, whatever else you want to do. And you can uh, catch up on that since a lot of folks were missing last week. But here we're going to pick up from there and go on. But as we looked at what is abiding, we went over to First John chapter 2 and verse 6. He who says he abides in him himself also to walk just as he walks. So if you want a real simple definition, a real simple way to portray what is abiding, it is simply to walk as Jesus walked. How can I tell if I'm abiding with him when I walk as he is walking? So as long as I can look at myself, am I walking the way Jesus walked? Yes, I'm, a, I'm doing what? I'm abiding. If I'm abiding, what's going to happen? I'm going to produce fruit. Because if I abide in the vine, if His words abide in me and I abide in Him, what will we produce? Fruit. fruit. We're going to produce fruit. Fruit will be the outcome. But we've got to be abiding. So in order to be abiding, we have to do as He did. We have to walk as He walked. This is the way we need to go. So abiding is really simple. It's not some mystical word. It's not some super spiritual word that we don't know the meaning of. It simply means to walk as He walked. We then looked at how are we to abide. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 24, it said, Therefore let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He has promised us, eternal life. So it tells us here to let truth abide. And of course the word abide means to continue or to remain. Let truth abide. So who's it up to? It's up to you. It is not up to your neighbor. It is not up to your spouse. It is not up to other believers. There is no one who can stop you from abiding. There is no one who can stop the truth from abiding in you. Only you can. The Word of God says, let us. It is something we permit. So I must let the Word of God, the truth of His Word, abide in me. Be a part of me. Continue or remain with me. Therefore, let that abide in you what you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, 
you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He has promised us, eternal life. So how do we abide? How do we go about this? Let the truth abide in us, continue to remain, and pursue the promise. What is the promise? Eternal life. We have eternal life. Don't you know that there's a whole lot of folks who want to come out and question that promise, question that direction? How many times do we hear it? Well, you may think you have the truth, but everybody thinks they have the truth, and we just don't all know whether you know this is the truth or not. Hogwash. I mean, if you don't believe that, the, that your God is giving you the truth, then you ought to get a new one. Right? I mean, that one don't work, go out and get one that does. Our God gives truth. And we need to stand on that and believe it. Now, the world won't accept it. The Word of God, Jesus taught us. He said, the world won't accept you because of me. Because of Him. Jesus. The world's going to hate you because it hates Jesus. Oh, it hates that name. You've heard it said over and over again, but they don't take uh, any other names in vain. They only take the name of Jesus in vain. That's a shame. But that's the one they always always pick on. You know, nobody goes around and says, Oh, Buddha. It just doesn't seem right. Because the only name we need to attack is the name of Jesus. Because that's where the truth is. So we know it. We know that the way we're going is truth. So if you're going to abide here, Simply let the truth abide in you and pursue the promise. We're going to walk as he walked. How are we going to walk as he walked? We've got to know the truth. Now, this week, last week we were spending a lot of time on abiding. And a part and parcel with this principle of abiding is back over in John chapter 15. Remember, we, we looked at the, the three, three folks that were involved in this. The first off, we were involved. We are the branch. Jesus is involved. He is the... But there's another one we haven't looked at too much yet, and that is the vine dresser who is God the Father. He's the vine dresser. We've said it a number of times. We are not the vine dresser. We are branches. Branches don't make good vine dressers, but many times we try. But that's his job. It's not even the job of the vine. The job of the vine dresser is the Father's. So he is the vine dresser. So what is it that he is going to do to help me in this? In John chapter 15, you can turn over there if you would. We're going to look at that uh, first off. Verse 1. I am the true vine. As we said, there are many other vines out there. And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes that, he may, that it may bear more fruit. So what's He doing? Every branch in me that's a part of the vine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear. Now, what is interesting here is the way that Jesus phrases this. Every branch that what? I'm sorry, I started in the middle. But that is true. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But in the middle it says, and every branch that... Every branch that bears fruit... He prunes. Do you get from this verse that the Father prunes unbarren branches? So understand this. The process of pruning is not to get you to bear fruit. Is it? It is to get you to... 
All right. So the process of the vine dresser is not to get you to bear fruit. It is to get you to bear more fruit. How do we bear fruit? If the pruning doesn't get us to bear fruit, then how do we become... Because when we got put on, we're not fruit producers, are we? Because every branch that does not bear fruit. So obviously there are branches put on that there's no fruit on. But as they produce fruit, the vine dresser prunes those, but the ones that do not bear fruit, he takes, cuts them off, takes them away. So the vine dresser, the father, is not in getting you to produce fruit. He's there to get you to produce more fruit. So there must be something else that comes into play to get us to produce fruit. You already know what that is. What is it? Abiding. It is the abiding that gets us to produce fruit. So the branches that do not, that do not produce fruit are branches that do not. Which, as we broke down before, a branch that does not abide is a branch that does not do as he does. How many of you live exactly like Jesus lived? No hands up. Wow. <laughs> we're, we're not, uh, we don't have hands up. Why is that we don't have hands up? We're, if we're going to ab- abide, we've got to do as he did. <laughs> but there's no hands up. That's, inter- that's interesting, isn't it? Let's take a look at another scripture. I guess we're all going to be cut off soon. May as well enjoy it while we're here. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. The disciples, would you consider them to be fruit-bearing people? Now let's examine the disciples here for just a minute. Let's just examine them and, and take a look. Jesus walks into a city that is prime for revival. And he sends them into the city to go and get some food. And so they go out and they get some food and they come back with... Food. Jesus stays by the well and he talks to a woman. And the woman, you know, they get into the conversation and he begins to tell her some things about herself that she already knew, but she didn't know that he knew. And then she runs into the city and she talks to the men in the city and they said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And a whole mess of folks come out of the city where who was just that? The disciples. They were just there. How come they didn't, how come the disciples didn't bring them? I guess they have some work to do, huh? Jesus goes up on a mount of transfiguration, takes three of the disciples with him. Leaves nine of them down and below, and they're out there ministering to people the way they had ministered before. Jesus had commissioned them, go out into, into the folks, you know, two, two by two he sent them, lay hands on the sick, and they came on back and they said, boy, even the demons are subject to your name. This is amazing. So they saw demons cast out, uh, sick people get well. And so then they, they came to this one, this uh, father brought the son, had epilepsy, and... They brought him to him and they couldn't cure him of the epilepsy. Didn't work. So they brought him to Jesus as soon as he comes down from the mountain. And Jesus said, oh, bring him over here. I'll take care of it. Jesus said, how long will I be with you? He wasn't too happy about that, was he? That the nine could not take care of this. And so he proceeded to cast out the demon they caused the epilepsy almost every single time. In fact, I think it is every single time in the Word of God that they ran into epilepsy. They dealt with a demon. You can take what you want from that. But that's what they did in the Word of God. So when the disciples come back to Jesus, they didn't say, how come we couldn't cure him? They said, how come we could not cast it out? 
So apparently they realized they had to cast out a demon in order to get the epilepsy gone. And uh, they couldn't cast it out. And Jesus said, because of your unbelief. And we've taken from that teaching, I believe it's over in uh, Mark chapter 9, we've taken from that teaching that there are prayer and fasting demons because he says this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting, which there are no prayer and fasting demons because when was Jesus praying and fasting? Weren't the, weren't the Pharisees even on Jesus? How come you and your disciples don't pray and fast? And he said, while the bridegroom is here, you don't, you don't uh, fast. When the bridegroom leaves, they'll fast. So Jesus wasn't praying and fasting either. But he didn't say this kind of demon. He said this kind of unbelief that was inside of them. He said, how come we couldn't cast it out? He didn't say any other reason. He didn't say because you didn't pray and fast. He said because of your... So in order to eliminate the problem, what do you have to do? Get rid of the unbelief. This kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. Do they need to have some work done on there? Jesus says, let's get in the boat and go over to the other side. They get in the boat to go over to the other side. Halfway in the middle, storm rises up. They think they're going to die. They wake up Jesus who's asleep in the bottom. And Jesus gets up and he speaks to the waves. Calms the, calms the wind. And Jesus turns to them and said, You know what? Sooner or later you guys are you're going to get this. I know. I just know you're going to get this. What's he say to them? <laughs> Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Later on. They come for Jesus. Peter wants to pull out a sword, cuts off a guy's ear. Apparently, he's not a real good shot. They come out of another city and they say, should we dust off the, the, the dust from our shoes? Not a whole lot of love there. James and John got the name the, the Sons of Thunder because they wanted to call down fire from heaven on the city. Does it seem like the disciples need some work? That's all we're really getting at. The disciples need some work. We need some work. The disciples needed some work. <laughs> well, we do need some work. But I want you to look at verse 3. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. You don't have to be perfect to be clean. You don't have to be perfect to be clean. You don't have to have be walking exactly like Jesus walked in order to be clean. A branch that is abiding is trying to... To become like the vine. It is doing as the vine. We're doing as Jesus walked. We're seeing how Jesus walked and we imitate that way. Just as the son imitates a father. Or a daughter imitates a mother. Or someone else. You see somebody you like and you begin to imitate that person. Because you, you want to become that. You want to do that particular thing. We want to become as God is. We want to become as the, as the son is. We want to walk as Jesus walked. But along the way, we're going, to have, we're going to stumble. We're going to have some problems. But this is the direction we're going. This is the way that we're, we're, we're going to be, be heading out. You know, if you have a, if you have a son, my son likes to, to do some things that I do. He likes to do some other things that I don't like to do. But you know that we have some areas that we, we work on together. Uh, of recent times, you know, he's been helping me in the shop and, and doing some things in there. He'll get on the table saw and he'll run some things on the table saw. But when he was younger... And he would try and imitate and do some things. I didn't put him on a table saw. You know why? He wasn't ready for it. You have to wait till, till someone gets ready for it. And the father knows there are some things we're not quite ready to walk in that Jesus did. But to become an unf unfruitful tree or unfruitful branch is different from becoming a branch who be begins to produce fruit that the father prunes to produce more fruit. 
An unfruitful branch, folks, is one who resists what Jesus says to do. One who, when they recognize that this is what I should do, resists it. No, I'm not going to do that. Mm -mm. No, no. No, I'm not going to go that way. The disciples were imperfect. The disciples have some problems. But were they resistant to what Jesus said to do? They weren't resistant to it. That's the difference. We have to get to a place where we're not resistant to it. How many times have you read something in the Word of God and you say, I'm not going to do that. Mm -mm. No, 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 I'm not going to do that. Now, most times we read in the Word of God if we understand it to be true. Don't we set out to try and do it? Because we're fruit producers. We're not resistant to it. How many of you have ever had somebody else in your life say something, you know, I, maybe a boss, I need you to do this, and we're resistant to it. No, I'm not going to do that. Mm -mm. No, I'm, that wasn't in my job description. No, I'm not going to be doing that one. And we can become resistant to it. Don't resist the work of the Father. As we, as we said, He is the vine dresser. First off, He prunes and He cuts off. How many sounds like this is great work? How many like this work? The work of the Father. He prunes and He cuts off. Isn't this great? How many of y'all want to get around somebody who either prunes or cuts off? <laughs> this doesn't sound real good, does it? But as a vine dresser, when you prune, you don't just slice things off. You're looking for things that are not helpful to the branch. You want to, you want to help the branch become fruitful. So you're looking over the branch. You're determining what is it that this branch needs? What is it that is being wasteful? Where, where do we need to focus the efforts? And so that's what he's, he's doing. So he's not just pruning and cut off. This necess isn't necessarily in there, but certainly he has to be doing this as well. He observes. Doesn't he observe us? Doesn't he look at us? Doesn't the vine dresser stand back and look at the branch? What is this branch lacking? What does it have too much of? What do we need to do with this branch in order to get this branch to go? How do we need to help this branch along? And so he observes the branch. Why does he observe the branch? Because he loves the branch. He wants the branch to produce fruit. That's his desire. His desire, the father's desire, is not to cut off branch. Wouldn't be a very good vine dresser if his goal was to cut off branches. Vine dresser wants to have fruit producing branches. So he observes. He cares for. He observes and he cares for the branch. He's got to be watching what's going on with this branch. What, what can we do for this branch? How can we help this branch out? And so we have to always look at the Father in a caring kind of a way. The Father cares for us. We've got to know that and we've got to believe that. Whatever the Father says, whatever the Father instructs us in, He cares for us, He loves us, He's nurturing us, He's moving us along in a way that will help us to become better fruit producers. Understand this, His intentions are for our good. Brother Oral Roberts was the one who, who first uh, made it famous anyway. He started saying, God is a good God. And for some people that's just new because they, they see a nasty God. They see a God who's... Uh, doing horrible things, acts of God, storms that come up. People, God takes this one. God took this one home. And, and God stole this from me. And God had me get into an accident to teach me a lesson. And God made me sick to teach me something. That's not necessarily a good God. But His intentions for us are good. They are good intentions. We've got to listen to what He has to say. His motives are He 
He has love for us. He has love for His family. And He has love for a dying world. He loves us. He loves His family. And He has love for a dying world. But understand this. He prioritizes His love. He has love for us. The thing He loves the most is the family. If an individual member of the family is hurting the family, He will deal with the individual member because He loves the family. He loves the world, but He loves the family more. And you'll see in the Word of God that there's a distinction between those that are of the world and those that are of that are belong to Him. And you get higher privileges if you belong to Him. Thank God for higher privileges. Thank God for, for good things like that. You get... You get help. You get privileges on that. There's uh, there's advantages. for And take advantage of them. It's good to be a family member. You know, Christian started working over at Ace Hardware. And you know what they give him? A discount. I had him, uh, he was over at work. And I said, oh, I'm out of this stain. Can you bring this stain home? And he, he came home. And it was less money than I ever paid for it. <laughs> he got a discount. Why? Because he's part of the of the Ace family. And so because he's part of the Ace family over there, he gets a discount. 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 Nobody else can walk in the store and get the discount unless they are a family member. You are a family member with the Father. And He loves you. You can look at that and say, I'm part of the favorites. I'm there. I'm part of the favorites. He loves me more. He loves those that are His more than those that are in the world. But He has a great love for the world and desires those that are in the world to come and be part of Him. But His his love is prioritized. First off, He loves the family. Then He loves the individual members. And then, then He loves the world. If an individual member steps out of line and begins to harm the family, He will cut off the branch. If someone out in the world comes in and begins to affect, He has a love for them and wants them to come on over. But after a while, he gets to a point and says, you know what? That's it. Cutting you off. Because of his love. So he has love for us. He has love for his family. He has love for our dying world. And he loves demonstration of his love. How does he demonstrate his love? He wants, to, he wants the whole world to see us produce fruit. He wants the whole world to see things happen with us. He wants the world to see that our joy is full. That we have peace. That we're long-suffering. That all those traits are part of us. And the world says, wow, how can you walk like that? How is it that this stuff going on in the world doesn't affect you? Why aren't you fearful? Why aren't you un, un, in unrest? Why is it that you're, you're this way? Because of my father. We just go on smiling. We're full of joy. We're full of peace. People are looking at the world and wondering, what's going on? What's happening? And we say, it's all right. I read the end of the book. I know where we're going. How can you be sure? Well, I am. Well, you just can't be sure. Well, you might not be, but I am. You know, they try and pass off their disbelief and their unbelief upon us and just don't accept it. We don't need to. His goals are to preserve every branch. He doesn't want to cut them off. But you've got to abide. His goals are to help every branch bear fruit and to produce a large overall vine with as much fruit as possible. He wants the largest overall vine that he can because the glory of a vine dresser is that the vine produces fruit. And his vine is going to produce the most. He is the vine dresser. It is his vine. But you've got to produce fruit in order for him to help you to produce more. 
And the way that we produce fruit is that we are abiding, which means I'm not resisting. I am following after what He says to do. And as long as I do that, follow after what He says to do. And the Word of God tells me, don't do that, do this. Oh, okay. And I'll do it. I'm not resisting. I'm flowing with Him. I will produce fruit. Well, we understand the vine dress. Let's take a look at the pruning. When we get, when we get out from obeying His Word, we are not walking as Jesus walked, right? When we get out from obeying His Word, we are not walking as Jesus walked. We're walking in disobedience. If we're going to abide, we need to do as Jesus said. We need to walk according to His Word. We let, need to let His Word abide in us. We need to let it become part of us. So the Father will prune us, but how? First off, He prunes us through the Word. That's one way that the Father is going to prune us. He prunes us through the Word. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 24, Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Therefore, let me read this again. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. What you heard from the beginning. Do not ever forget what you heard from the beginning. Because what you heard from the beginning doesn't become untrue. We hang on to those truths that we had from the beginning. We do those things that, that were true. We walk in, in those ways. Hang on to those things that are, that are true. How many of you have ever gone back on some, some tapes or some series that you were in before that really ministered to you, really helped you out? How many of you have ever gone back on those and just re- re-listened to them again? Well, you know what? I just want to make sure I'm, I'm walking in those things. Oh, I just want to make sure that that's, that's going right with me. I'm going to go back and just check myself up on that thing. That's a submitted person. That's a person who says, I want to do what he says. Don't forget the early stuff. Don't forget the stuff that you, that you learned before. See, sometimes, and the reason that's so important, is that there are people out there who get into false doctrine and false teaching. And they begin to, to build principles upon principles. And then they build principles upon those principles which are built upon these principles. And then they build new principles upon these principles, which are built on these principles, which are built on these principles. And pretty soon we get so far out that we're no longer on the original principle anymore. We left it because we kept getting more enlightened. Everything God teaches in His Word works together. The elementary principles gel with the next principles which jail with the next ones and even the advanced ones. There is no principle that does not work with another. If you ever find someone teaching something, it doesn't seem to work with some of the early things you learned. Guess what? It's probably wrong. It's probably not right. I've heard people, ministers, there were some out there that I, used, I had respect for. And they begin to teach things and then they begin to get into principles and to move into areas and think, why are you getting into that? That's against this area over here. There was one, one individual, my wife and I, we used to enjoy him a whole lot. And one time we got one of his newsletters in the mail and we read it and he was talking about this principle that this person was teaching and he had to go away and pray about it for a couple of days and then he finally realized, oh, that's not right. And I looked at her and she looked at me and said, why didn't he know that right off the bat? And we wondered, why didn't he know that right off? Why did he, did, why did not this person 
who were so advanced in the Word of God, so advanced in the things of the Spirit, how come he didn't know? And we got our answer later on. We saw later on that he was starting to get off in some other things and began to teach some stuff that just was against early principles. And so we stopped listening to him. We didn't go after that. There was another person, a lady, he used to listen to a lot, but started to, to build principle off of principle off of principle and began to establish doctrine on principles that were fo- so far removed from the Word of God. What are we doing this for? Like we told you over and over again, I emphasize this with you time and time again because I know the people that are out there. Anything that you need to do on a regular basis, anything that needs to govern your life, any principle that you need to order your life by is not only mentioned one or tw- once or twice in the Word of God, it's mentioned over and over and over and over. Not only that, there is nothing that you need to do. And please, I'm, I did not misspeak this. There is nothing that you need to do on a daily basis that is not taught straight up and demonstrated in the Word of God. If someone wants to teach you some new fangled principle, and there's no one in the Word of God, Old Testament or New Testament, whoever did it, it probably doesn't need to be in your life. Why do you think you were given all these uh, chapters of stories of men and women and how they lived their life with God and how God ministered through them and the things they did, their successes, their failures? Because in that we have demonstrated all the principles we ever need. Anything that anyone ever wants to teach you that you should do, someone has done it in the Word of God. Make sure that you find it. If not, they're probably getting the principle wrong. Go back to the Word of God and find out. We just put it up there on the internet, but um, some time ago we covered the persistent widow on the Wednesday night series. Most folks can't make it out for the Wednesday night, but if you want to, you can go back up there and get it on the on the uh, sermon player. A lot of people have taught things about the persistent widow, how she came and how she continued to plead her case, and and uh, and some wrong things have come out of that. And some teaching has come that we are supposed to do as far as prayer to God, but no one ever did it in the Word of God. So if you've heard some wrong teaching on the persistent widow, that's up there. You can go check that out. Make sure whatever it is that you believe, doesn't matter how how famous or how well known the person is who taught it, it's got to be in the Word of God. Don't forget the elementary principles. Don't forget the things you first learned. Because whatever the Word of God teaches, it will always be consistent. So he he, uh, prunes us through the Word. Again, therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Don't stray from it. And there's many more scriptures you can get into. Talk about how the Word helps us out with this. Here's the next area, through the Spirit. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Thank God for the Holy Spirit who is there with us, who helps us to know all things. How many of you all know there's parts of the Word of God you don't quite understand? <laughs> sure there is. There's stuff, but go with the understanding. I tell you this all the time. Have the understanding. There is nothing revealed in His Word, nothing written in His Word, nothing that has been told to us in His Word. Can I say it any other way? Whatever is in His Word is there for us to learn and understand. There is no place in Scripture you should ever read and say, "Mm, I guess this just isn't for me. If He wrote it, it's for us to understand. Whatever it is, it's for us to understand. So go with that understanding. Father God, you revealed this in your Word. I know there's something in there. 
I think I'm ready for it because I, I, can, I can see that there's something in this Scripture. I can see there's something in this passage. What is it? And He will help you with that. You know how? He says you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you know all things. John chapter 14, verse 17. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. The Spirit of what? We all know about the Spirit of power, don't we? But you know that the Word of God reveals to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth more often than He does the Spirit of power? That is a big role of the Holy Spirit. He is the revealer of truth. In John, John chapter 15, verse 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of me. The Spirit of what? The Spirit of truth. And He's going to testify of? Him. You know why? Because in order to be, be abiding, we need to, do, to walk as? He walked. So what do we need? I need His way revealed to me so that I can walk in it. So the Holy Spirit's here to reveal that to us. Isn't that part of the pruning process? Isn't that the Holy Spirit comes and He reveals to me what Jesus did, who Jesus was? Oh, that's how I need to walk. Look, how many times have we studied in the Gospels? We're looking at a particular thing Jesus is doing and all of a sudden the light comes on. Oh, I see that aspect of Jesus now. I didn't see that before. That's the Spirit of truth coming over. And helping you out with that. Revealing the truth to you. John chapter 16, verse 13 through 14. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. Oh, please take the word for what it says. He will guide you into all truth. Folks, all truth is not reserved for pastors, teachers, prophets, and so forth. All truth is there for you. And it is the Spirit who reveals it to you. You just got to pursue it. You got to go after it. Because some of the other, some of the deeper things in the Word of God, they're not just going to be revealed to you just because, well, I'll just sit here and wait for it to come. No, you got to pursue after it. Just like it is in the natural. Some of you folks have special areas of, of, of uh, places where you studied or special areas where you have, uh, have a good bit of knowledge. Why do you have that? Because you pursued it. You have more understanding than that than most people do because you pursued it. you got to pursue it. Truth needs to be pursued. you got to go after it. you got to first off sense, you know what, there's something in this area of Scripture. I know what, there's something in this area of Scripture. There have been times I have read a chapter, a section of verses or whatever, and just in my spirit, it just bugs me. There's something in here. I'm not getting something. There's something more about this. I'm not getting it. And so I'll read it again. And 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 I'll keep reading it. And when, if it doesn't come to me, I don't sit there and say, well, I guess I'm just not supposed to know it. No, I read it again. And I go to the Father. Father God, you said the Spirit of God is here to reveal all truth. There's a truth in here. I need to know it. My spirit is hungry for it. I want to know what that truth is. And you pursue it. And you go after it. And you keep going after it. You keep pursuing it. You keep reading it. As you, have you read it enough times that you can read it in your sleep? And you mull over it. You're out there cutting the lawn. And you're mulling over it. You're washing the dishes. And you're mulling over that scripture. Oh, and you just over and over again. It's going over and over and over and over. And more often than not, in the most inopportune time and inopportune place, revelation will come to you. More often than not. 
they don't, most times it won't come to you as you sit, to sit there and read the Scripture. But it's imperative that you sit there and meditate on the Scripture and read the Scripture. It's imperative that you do that. You've got to study it out. But then you're going to be out there driving along in a hurry. And suddenly revelation comes to you. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. I'm going to write that down later. Guess what? <laughs> you'll lose it. It'll be gone. And you'll get to another place where it's more convenient to write it down. And you'll go to write it down. What was that? Oh, man, that was so good, too. Oh, what, what? I know. Oh, I can't. Oh, uh. We've all been there, haven't we? We have all lost revelation. We have all lost things that the Spirit of God taught us and helped us. And you know what He was giving it for us, to us for? To help us produce more fruit. And we let it go. Or how about in the middle of the night? Oh, you went to bed so tired. And for some reason you woke up at 2.30 in the morning. Oh, and you want to go back to sleep in the worst way. But then all of a sudden, revelation hits you. Because your spirit's not groggy, just your mind. Mm. Boy, what do you do? Boy, get over there and write the thing down. Just write the revelation down. You may not even understand it yet. I've told that to you over and over again. Just write down the revelation. You may not understand it yet. But if you write down the revelation, you can come back and get it. Just write down the revelation and go back to sleep if you want to. But write it down. Pull over on the side of the road. Write down the revelation. Write down what you got. But I don't understand what it is. That's okay. Write it down. You'll get it. It came to your spirit. Your mind will get it eventually. Revelation does not come through our mind. Revelation comes through our spirit. It goes from the Holy Spirit to our spirit. And then our spirit teaches our mind. Too often people have tried to get revelation knowledge by receiving it in their mind and teaching it to their spirit. It doesn't come that way. That's natural understanding. And that won't help you bear fruit. What you want to bear fruit comes from your spirit first. And you honor it by writing it down. You, by, by taking time out, whatever it is that's going on. Because God could have picked any time to give it to you. But He picked a time when something important was going on. Because He wants to see, alright, you've been saying that you want that revelation. How much do you really want it? Well, I really want it, but I also don't want to be late. So, Well, I really want it, but you know, this is sleep time. You know what will happen to me in the morning if I don't get my rest? And God says, all right, you don't want it that much yet. Well, wait till you want it. When you really want it. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. So we've all lost revelation along the way. But that's taught us to make sure we don't lose any more. How does He prune us? He prunes us through the Word. He prunes us, prunes us through the Holy Spirit. Who's going to speak to us? Who's going to bring revelation? He's going to come and He's going to give some of those things to us. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own authority, but of whatever He hears, He will speak and He will tell you things to come. Oh, how much better would our life be if we knew things to come? Wouldn't that be better? You can take that to the Father in prayer. Father God, You said Your Spirit would tell me things to come. I expect to know some things that are coming. Because You said in Your Word You would do it. He will glorify me, for He will take of what is Mine and declare it to you. Now, who's speaking here? Jesus. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but of whatever He hears, He will speak and He will tell you things to come. He will glorify Me, and He will take of what is Mine 
and declare it to you. So the Spirit is going to take what is Jesus and declare it to you. Does that not help you in walking as He walked? Which helps in the abiding process, isn't it? And when He does that, we don't resist it. Yes, sir. I'll do that. Yes, sir. I'll walk that way. All right. I'll go ahead and do that. I mean, so many times the Holy Spirit will come along with us and He'll reveal something to us in the Word of God. Oh, that's a good truth. Oh, yeah. Oh, I like that truth. Yeah. You know, you need to apply it to so and so. Oh. <laughs> we don't like that. Because I don't want to do that with so and so. Come on. What's He doing? Isn't He pruning us? Isn't he taking something that isn't quite, it shouldn't quite be there? Revealing the scripture, revealing the word to us, and then pointing out right there. See that? Cut it off. Let the word of God cut that off. (sighs) Okay. I know it's going to hurt. But you know, pruning is a whole lot better when you let something, when it's small, get snipped than when it's bigger. My mom used to teach me that about the uh, tomato plants I talked to you about. You get these little suckers that will grow up in between there. She'd always show me these are the little suckers. You've got to come out here and get them. And if you don't come out there and get them in a, in a certain amount of time, then the sucker becomes almost like a branch. And you don't want to cut it off then because you're going to hurt the plant more than you're going to, then it's going to hurt the uh, fruit bearingness of it. Let God take it off when they're, when they're small. Here's the other way. Through the family. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now, here's what you got to do. We are not called to be vine dressers, are we? No. But if I know the Word of God, and I see this person in a trespass, and I know it's going to hurt them, I need to come over there and help them out, is what the Word of God is saying. And to enlighten them on what the Word of God says. I'm letting the Word do the pruning, not me. But he says, when you do it, come on up with a spirit of gentleness. Knowing that you also could be tempted. We don't come over there authoritatively and start hacking stuff off of people. That's not our job. job. It's not our role. This is how we're supposed to do it. Even in Romans chapter 14. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. See, sometimes we've just gotten into disputes about stuff that just don't matter. You know, how many, how many of y'all know there's all kinds of stuff we can get uh, in, de- in debates about? And here he talks about a few of them. For For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Thank God I'm not weak. (laughs) You out there and if we go to one of those buffets and you see me just have meat on my plate, you know, boy, he's strong. (laughs) Now, that's not what it's talking about there. It's just saying that, uh, you know, that what they understand in Scripture prevents them from being able to do things. It's a wrong understanding. But you you don't get in the way of that. They're trying to live up to what they understand in Scripture. You don't get in the way of that. You don't go where this is all, you poor little weak thing eating vegetables. Hmm. Yeah, I'm over here enjoying my steak and bacon. And For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let him, not, let him who eats, excuse me, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received them. In other words, don't judge it. If they want to walk that way, let them go. If you've got brothers and sisters out there who believe that pork is off limits, all right, go ahead for it. You can stay away from bacon. Do you mind if I have your bacon they put on? 
That's fine. If some people are weak enough, maybe you shouldn't even eat bacon in front of them. You just refrain from eating bacon because they're there. Instead of going there and ordering a Baconator, you go over there and order something with lettuce on it instead. Just because you know where they're at. You're the stronger one. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. Or he said that. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. See, these people, they're not your servants. They're God's servants. They belong to God. You let God take care of them. To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand. For God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Well, if you know you run into somebody and they want to worship God on Saturdays, they think Saturday is the right day. Go for it. Glory to God. You just worship God all you want to on a Saturday. That's just fine. They're not, not going to heaven because they worship God on a Saturday. There's nothing about that at all. Nor should they despise someone else who worships God on Sunday. Technically, we should worship every day of the week. But there are certain days that we call, have a call to worship. And you don't despise anyone for that. If one person wants to celebrate a holiday and another person doesn't, don't despise them for it. You know, we got Halloween coming up. Many of us have walked into conviction that we don't want to celebrate Halloween. But if we find another believer out there and uh, they've got Halloween stuff all out there on their lawn and tombstones and witches in their windows and all that sort of stuff, <laughs> well, you know what? You can get to heaven and, and still put those things around on you. That's not a uh, make or break it issue. So don't get in disputes over those things. You can ask them some things, you know, you know the origin of the holiday and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I know that. But we it's 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 fine, we just go ahead and do it. Other people, they want to get pick on folks because they have Christmas trees or because they celebrate Christmas on the twenty fifth of December. Which we know wasn't really the the day he was born anyway. Others, you know, they don't like uh Resurrection Sunday or Easter or whatever else they call it. And they get upset over the we don't need to be getting upset over these things. If someone wants to observe Passover well, just so you understand that Jesus Christ finished that all off. <laughs> the things that are important is that we understand that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That Jesus is the reason we have the victory. There's people out there who don't believe that Jesus took the price of healing. There's people out there who don't walk in the way of faith. The way that we would walk in the way of faith. But you know what? They're still saved. There's people who don't walk in the knowledge of end times the way that they should. But you know what? They're still saved. You know, if people want to believe in a post-trib, mid-trib, or whatever other tribulation thing they want to go, amillennial, post-millennial, whatever they want to believe, whatever they want to go, that's fine. They can go whatever way they want to. It's going to happen the way it's going to happen whether they believe it or not. Because that's not something that our faith is dependent on. If God's going to come before the tribulation, you aren't going to stop it with your lack of faith in it. So we get into disputes over all this stuff. And I'll tell you what, end times can get people in all kinds of disputes. But we just don't need to do it. You, we do need to have an understanding of the Word of God. And we can sharpen each other on these things. Because if we don't understand it right, how can we communicate to the world what's going on and what's right? So we've got to know. But don't get into disputes over this stuff. That's not pruning. That's not helping. What the Word of God has told us, if you see someone overtaken in a trespass. We're not talking about somebody missing it. We're talking about someone overtaken in a trespass. Get over there. Try and help them out. Bring them on back. 
Get them over it. That's what we need to do. The Word of God says to receive one who is weak in the faith. We're not over there to condemn them. Receive one. Don't worry about how they how they walk on stuff. Don't worry about their understanding of, of, of some of the things. You don't you under, you right now walk in more understanding than you had five years ago, two years ago. I sure hope you do. So let that other person grow in it as well. And don't get mad at them because they're walking at a, a different level or a different understanding than you have. Just be available. Be ready. Don't get out of the fruits of the Spirit to try and go over there and prune somebody's branch. <laughs> that's, that's just not good. The Word of God talks about long-suffering, patience, kindness, joy, peace, all these things. And we'll throw all those, all those things aside simply to get rid of someone else's sin. That's ridiculous. We don't need to do it. We can go over there and we can love other people. Whether they believe in faith the way we believe in faith. Whether they believe in healing the way we believe in healing. Whether they believe in end times the way we believe in end times. Whether they believe in worshiping on Sunday the way we believe in worshiping on Sunday. Doesn't matter. Don't get, don't get off on all these different things. So the pruning process is going to happen through the Word. It's going to happen through the Spirit. And even in the family. You can help out. Now again, we're not the vine dresser. But the Father can use us as an example to help other people see how we're to walk. Didn't Paul tell people, follow me as I follow Christ? Alright, you can't see Christ, but you can see me. I can see Christ. I know how he operated. If you want, follow me. And after a while, he knew after they followed him, they got the hang of it, they'd be able to follow Christ on their own. They wouldn't have to follow Paul. But that's how good we ought to live our lives. That's the way we ought to go. Stay in the fruit. Stay, stay operating in the fruit. Don't get out of the fruit to get over there and help somebody else out, so to speak. Stay with it. Because the, the, the Father is the vine dresser. And He cares for us. Whatever it is that He's going to do, it's, it's for our help. If He shows us something in the Word that we need to change, then change it. Because He's saying, now is the time for you to do this. Now is the time for you to operate in this, this walk. There is something coming up. And you need to take care of this thing now. So I'm bringing this to your, your knowledge now. Don't put it aside. Don't put it away. Nope, nope. This is something I need to operate. This is, this is something I need to do. There's times you're listening to something on a podcast, on the radio, on a TV, in church. Someone teaches something. Someone goes, goes off on something. And all of a sudden, the Spirit quickens you on, on a thing. <gasps> I see that now. You need to honor that. You need to take, take advantage of I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that to work. I'm going to get that thing going. Because the Father showed it to me now. There's an urgency that I get that thing taken care of now. And I'll do it. I'll, do, I'll take care of that thing right now. I'll listen to Him. The purpose of the Father pruning us is that we bear more fruit. It's good to produce fruit. We want to make sure that we, we keep going that way. Understand this, the Father is not just looking for branches to cut off. Any branch yielded to His pruning will produce fruit. Any branch yielded to His pruning will produce fruit, more fruit even. Only those resistant to Him will be cut off. Don't resist the Father. Don't resist the Spirit. Don't resist what the Word of God is, is telling you about. 
And you'll be in situations where you won't, won't necessarily want to do that, won't you? There was a story I heard of about a gold watch. Lucille Wales was her name. And her husband, Henry, had just retired as a mechanic from a local Ford dealership. And he was given a gold watch. And his name was inscribed on it. Henry was really proud of this, this watch. For him, it was the greatest treasure he had ever received as an employee or as a reward for anything. His thought was, now I have something I can pass on to my son. As he retired every day, he and his wife would go out in their, in their garden and they had a, a, a section of roses and they began to develop the section of roses and the two of them together began to work the roses and they expand the rose garden and they made more and more roses and pretty soon they became known as the rose couple. They were always out there taking care of the roses and the roses were growing and the roses were doing good. And one day, there was a friend who called up Henry. He had some problems with his car. And Henry listened to him on the phone. He says, it sounds like you got a problem with the carburetor. Tell you what, I'll be right over and we'll take care of it. And so he uh, told his, his wife, said, I won't be too long. I'm just going to go over there and fix this thing. And so she says, well, on your way home, can you pick up some milk? Yep, sure will. I sure will. So uh, he headed off and this was about 10 o'clock at, at night that he was uh, doing this. And uh, so he went over to the place and apparently he never made it over to the place at, uh, to help the buddy out. And 11.30 came at nighttime and his wife still hadn't heard anything from him so she began to be worried and she called the place where he was supposed to go to to help him out with the car and they said, well, he never made it. Never made it over here. So she called the police and the police found out that um, that uh, he was in a mugging. And a group of kids came and they mugged him took his wallet, took a lot of his stuff and shot him. And he was dead. She went to the funeral. She just couldn't be comforted. One of the things that the thief had stolen was his gold watch. Some time later, it was weeks had passed and there was no arrest, no leads. She visited even the pawn shop to see if anybody had pawned off the watch. She'd get a lead on who it might be. Nothing happened. Six months passed and still there was no response. The owners of the Ford dealership presented Lucy with another watch to replace the one that was lost, but you know, it just wasn't the first watch. It wasn't the same. Meanwhile, her roses had fallen into neglect. They kind of had uh, gone their way and weren't doing all that well. And one week, and her oldest daughter came to stay overnight. And the next morning, she suggested they get up and that they prune the roses. And they worked in the garden. There was a young man who came up to him. He passed them two or three times. And finally, he came up to him. And Lucy just saw him looking at the roses. And she thought, maybe he really likes the roses. So she said, son, would you like a rose? He said, yes, I would. So she went, she found one and she cut the rose for him. His name was Jared. And Jared said to her, he says, are you the rose lady? She says, well, yeah, I guess I am. That's what people call me around here. Well, the next Saturday afternoon, the young man appeared again. And she said, boy, you like my roses so much. He came back for some more. And he didn't seem to. He appeared very nervous and very jumpy. Almost afraid. 
He said, Rose Lady, I need to talk to you. It's important. And they sat in silence on the front porch for just a little while. And suddenly he reached into his pocket and he pulled out a handkerchief, cleared his throat. He says, I got something that belongs to you. And the folds of the handkerchief was Henry's watch. Tears came down her face. She said, Jared said to her, I didn't kill him. I didn't kill him. And Jared began to tell the story of how he was with this gang. And they decided to rob Henry. And Jared was shocked when one of the gang members brought out a gun and shot him. And the gang members ordered Jared to go over to Henry and to strip him of all the valuables. And as he went over to Henry, Henry wasn't quite dead yet. And Henry looked up at Jared. And as Jared was taking off his watch and his, removing his wallet and things of the, that were valuable, Henry said to Jared, he said, um, would you give the watch to my wife, the Rose Lady? Jared picked up all the valuables, but the watch he put in his pocket. And he hid it from the gang. And he carried around with him all these months, waiting to find out who the Rose Lady was. After the whole story was told to Lucille, she told Jared, she said, well, Jared, you, you need to go to the police. You need to tell them what's going on. So I'm going to ask you to do the right thing. I know it's not easy, but I'm going to ask you to do the right thing. Jared said, well, if I go, those gang members will relocate me to the cemetery. He said, Lucille said, well, I've always found that if you do the right thing, God will take care of the rest. Lucille didn't see the young man again for a long time. He did go to the police and his friends were eventually arrested for the murder. But Jared was not charged. Sometime later, Jared sent a letter to, to her saying that he was in college. And it came upon the time that he was to graduate. And years later that she heard that he graduated from college, Lucille had an idea. And she found the duplicate gold watch and boxed it up. And she sent it to the new graduate with the best wishes from the Rose Lady. I don't think it's a reach to say that Lucille was bearing fruit. That Lucille was showing love. And because of the things that Lucille did, Jared was affected. Too often, folks, we want to react out of our emotions. We want to react out of our feelings. We want to react out of what we think is right for me. But if we walk as Jesus walked, if we do as Jesus did, then for everything, even a situation such as meeting Jared, we need to ask, Father, what would you have me to do? And the Spirit of God will reveal something to us. And it may not be easy. But you know what? If we do it, we will bear even more fruit. We're yielding to the Word. We're yielding to the Spirit. We're being pruned. We're becoming just like Him. Oh, that's our goal. Become just like Him. The fruit of the Spirit is to have an effect on all those that are around us.
It's not just for us to have more peace and more joy. It is for all those around us to be affected. Are people around you affected by the fruit that you bear? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the work of your spirit. Thank you even for the work of other believers that help us to have a walk pleasing to you. A walk that imitates the walk of Jesus. Thank you that you reveal to us truths that help us to accomplish that. Thank you that you are the gentle and gracious vine dresser who loves the branches. He loves the vine. And he wants every branch to be fruit bearing. Thank you for the care and thought that you put into everything that you say to us and that you do. And Father, we want to do the same thing. And be very careful of the things that we say and the things that we do to follow after what Jesus would do in that situation. How Jesus would speak. How he would go. Give you the praise and the glory for it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.